0: According to Acts chapter 4 verse 25, it's a psalm written by David. And uh, what we'll see is it's a powerful portion of Scripture. You know, I was even thinking, I don't know how much time we're going to have, but you know, maybe we'll just get through this one psalm tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get through a few. That way we can work our way through the book of Psalms. But in a, in a loose sense, uh, Psalm 2 describes the coronation of really any king In Jerusalem, you know, David's writing kind of with that in mind. After all, Jerusalem's kings were anointed and appointed by God to the nations, and so in Israel was there, and the nations acknowledged that. And and so you'll see that part of it, but really the thrust of chapter two, and you're going to see this early on, is that this is in reference to none other than Jesus Christ, who is the The king of kings, you know, and so for us here uh, today, bottom line is uh, it's exciting. It's super exciting to think that our king is coming, that the Lord is coming. And of course, we know that before he actually sets up his throne there in Jerusalem, the rapture happens first, the rapture. And that can happen at any moment. Then the seven year tribulation. Then Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. And so looking around the world today, I'll I'll be honest with you. I am so anticipating, so excited about his coming. But, you know, we have to know um, he's coming as judge. And it's an awesome thought. We're going to see that as we go through this uh, chapter. But look what we read in Acts. I mean, Psalm 2 and verse 1. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And so we see here in verses 1 through 3, the opposition to the Lord and his anointed. And, of course, this applies primarily to the ministry of Jesus Christ, who from day one experienced the opposition. We see this in the Gospels. And then to the very end, we're going to see as you study the scriptures, that in the end, when all the nations of the world will come to oppose Christ, just prior to him setting up his kingdom. Uh, there's a few of you here that are going to be going to Israel with us. You will see the Valley of Megiddo. You will see where that that battle is going to take place, the Battle of Armageddon, where the Bible says all the nations of the earth will come, and they'll come to oppose, oppose Christ. And we're going to see, of course, that he will uh, give us the victory Uh, I I was thinking, you know, let's turn to a few chapters tonight. Let's turn our Bibles uh, to to Revelation 16, because I want you guys to see this. You know, I don't know. I know some of you here, you know prophecy, and you know where the the passages are, and you've read them and studied them out. But I I would say there's a lot of us here that haven't. And so Revelation, obviously, is the second coming of Christ. And in Revelation 16, in verse 12, it says, and the sixth angel Poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw there unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Notice, to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And so, you know, it's just crazy. You know, God made everything. God spoke the universe into existence, all the, the the stars, the planets, the galaxies. And so here you have this these people on this puny speck of a space, this planet called Earth, and they they muster themselves together to come against God. It's it's a crazy thing. And so, you know, we see it here in Revelation sixteen. Back in in Psalms, uh, the question is, why do these non-believers rage and they plot vain things? They take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And you guys, when you think about that, you know, God versus man. I mean, of course, we know God will win. You know, and the cool thing about this, though, is that not only does it apply to the earthly ministry of Christ and the second coming, It applies to us now. You know, a lot of times we go through hard times and we, you know, want to do ministry or family and, you know, the enemy opposes us. Well, just as ridiculous as it is thinking that the nations of the earth can defeat Almighty God, the same is true for us. I mean, we cannot be defeated. I I always tell people the only way we lose is if we quit. And I tell you what, you guys, keep taking those steps of faith because you are invincible in the will of God. And so in looking at this right here, it's interesting how Peter in Acts chapter 4, he applied this passage to the ministry of Christ and the cross of Christ and even to themselves as followers of Christ. And he said, why would they come against God? I mean, do they actually think they're going to win the fight against God? And of course, the answer is no. And that's just the way the enemy is. You know, here in verse 3, it says, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Uh, The New English translation, it gives a better rendition. It says, they say, let's tear off the shackles they've put on us. Let's free ourselves from their ropes. In other words, what they're trying to say is, we don't want him to rule over us. You know, and keep in mind, this is just prior to the millennial kingdom where Christ will rule and we will rule with him. And so the enemy is like, man, we'll have none of that. We don't want him to rule over us. The nations of nonbelievers don't want anything to do with that. As a matter of fact, they, they never did. And at the end of the day, that was their problem. And that's the problem really at any time. You know, the question really uh, for me in life, for you in life, is whether or not you will truly allow the Lord to be the Lord of your life. Will you allow him to rule over you, to tell you, you know, what thoughts you can think, what words you can speak, how you can speak them, what decisions you'll make, what type of person you'll be? Because really it all comes down to that. Their heart is we don't want him to rule over us. And a lot of times, we unfortunately have that same heart. Now, praise God when we come to that place in our life where He is Lord of all. Because really, if He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all, huh? And so, this is them. You know, Jesus here is interesting. He spoke about this in the parable that He preached in Luke 19, 14, Where it says, but his citizens hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That was their heart, right? I mean, he's not going to reign over us, really. Look at verse 4. It says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He's not going to rule over us. In verse 4, we see the laughter of the father. And in verse 5, we see the anger of the father. You know, in spite of their rage and organized opposition, Jesus will rule. He will be placed in his Position as king in Zion, which is a reference to Jerusalem. The holy hill is in reference to the Temple Mount. And so when you look at prophecy, it's interesting that when Jesus comes, he's going to come, he's going to go into the east gate. When he steps on, you know, the mountain is going to split and he's going to walk right up and he's set up his throne there in Jerusalem. And again, when you go to Israel with us, you're going to see all these things. And it's interesting, this is so set in stone, it's so certain that verse 6, it speaks as if it's already happened. Notice again, he says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You know, and when you read Revelation 19, 11, I encourage you to read it, especially for those of you who haven't read it. You know, read that all the way to chapter 20, verse 6. You're going to see the way the Lord comes and the way that he sets up the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we're going to be reigning with him. And so in verse 7 in Psalm 2 now, now Jesus speaks. So at first it's the Father, now it's the Son. And this is what Jesus says in verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You know, in in verse 7 here, we see uh, the decree of, of deity as well as royalty. Notice again, you are my son. Jesus said, I will declare this decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. And so it's interesting, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 uses this text to prove that Jesus is God and not a mere angel. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses will try to tell you that Jesus is Michael the archangel. There are others out there that try to tell you he's just an angel. But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5, it says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so when you read Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about Jesus being God, the express image of God. And so looking at this statement, it's a statement of, of a deity, but it's also a statement of royalty. Notice again, it says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, it's interesting, again, the understand that scripture interprets scripture. The best commentary in the Bible is the Bible. And so Hebrews chapter 5, again, in verse 5, it uses this verse, and, and the word today, it actually speaks of the day in time when Jesus became the heavenly high priest. Now, you guys know that Jesus is high priest, and you might wonder when, and there are obviously shadows of it in the Old Testament, but it really didn't actually take place. He didn't really kind of go in until the earthly ministry when he died And then rose again. And we read in Hebrews 5 verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. He didn't do it to himself. It wasn't Jesus who exalted himself. He says, but it was he who said to him. It was the father who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so it's important to understand this. What's going on here in Psalm chapter 2. An amazing chapter that clearly identifies Jesus as, as God, Jesus as high priest. And a lot of people wonder, what does it mean, this whole begotten thing? Well, that is something that took place when he became high priest. And so I, I personally believe that through the ministry of Christ, especially his high priestly death and resurrection, he earned the right to reign. And that's the principle, really, you see throughout Scripture. If you humble yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. Jesus humbled himself, it says in Philippians chapter 2, even to death and even the death of the cross. Therefore, the Father has exalted him. And giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, you know, for us, understanding Jesus coming, understanding who he is. I mean, to me, it's just amazing that this psalm, this song of David, when he's kind of thinking about the king's of Jerusalem is just really the Holy Spirit writing through him about the king of kings who would come one day. And so we read in verse 8 again, the father speaks, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, the nations oppose. Um, They oppose now. You know, they try to stop the work of Christ. You know, I just want to encourage you to know that the enemy can't stop Jesus. It can't. You, You go out, you take steps of faith. It cannot be stopped by the devil, by the hosts of demons, by the whole wide world. And that's why we have to go out and take steps of faith. You know, uh, we're talking on Sunday about how the devil cannot defeat the word of God. He can't. And so what he does is he tries to make us silent. That's one thing that he'll tempt us to do. And in one sense, he'll defeat us if we stay silent. And so we have to speak the word of God. We have to take steps of faith. We have to follow him and just know that nothing, man, the enemy can't do anything when we're following the Lord, and we're doing that work. It's amazing to me to see this. And so in verse 8 and 9, the Father gives to his Son the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. This is who would rule. Of course, it's Christ, and it's how he would rule. Now, it's going to be a lot different when Jesus comes again. Notice again in verse 9, it says, "...you shall break them with a rod of iron." You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, in, in Revelation 12 and verse 5, it talks about Israel giving birth to the Messiah. And it says, she bore a male child who was to rule over all nations with a rod of iron. And so what that means, you guys, is that when if anyone gets out of line anywhere in the whole wide world, think about it, God's going to deal with it. At that moment, it's going to be a completely different world. And this is the way it should be. You know, you think of what's going on right now, you guys, all around the world, all the crimes, all the the rapes, all the incest, all the the just awful things that are going on right now as we're here in church. Murder's taking place. It's not right. And of course, we know that within us. Well, when Jesus is here ruling on planet Earth, that won't happen. He will rule, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. Think about that. A thousand years of peace. And that means, again, if anyone gets out of line, they're going to be dealt with swiftly and severely. And it's interesting, the battle language that's used here, it actually describes the beginning of a king's rule in which he would put down any resistance to his inauguration. You know, uh, the Egyptian rulers, it's interesting, the pharaohs, they had the ceremonial customs in which... He would use his uh, scepter and there would be clay pots there. And as he would start his rule, he would get his rod and his scepter and he would crush those clay pots as he starts his kingdom. And what it was, it was a visual of any resistance to his rule would be crushed. And that's what the Lord is saying right here. It's gonna, there is no one who is going to be able to fight against the lord and all i know is man you don't want to mess with the, with the messiah when he comes you guys remember revelation 19 verse 15 this is out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and so i know you guys probably know this but think about it i mean you're like out of his mouth who who uses a sword with his mouth what's that all about you know And of course, I think you know what it means, that the way that he does it is he speaks it. He just speaks it. Anyone out of line, you know, he just speaks it. That's how he smites the earth. It says that out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I'll tell you what, you guys, those of you who are Christians here, and hopefully it's all of you, you're on the right side, man. If you're not a Christian, you really need to see the holiness and the awesomeness of God. And so David, you know, representing the believer in this psalm right here, he speaks, and then, you know, we've got the the father speaking, the son speaking And then a lot of Bible teachers believe then the Holy Spirit speaks in verse 11. It says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. And we know the the role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus, huh? And that's exactly what we see going on here. You know, when you look at this, I think, you guys, it's important to have a proper view of God, a biblical understanding of His holiness as well as His graciousness. You know, how many of you know that God is love? Like, He loves you no matter what. Even though you mess up, He still loves you. Nothing you can do to make Him stop loving you. But do you also know that He's holy? Do you also know that if you're here and you're coming to church and, you know, you're living in sexual sin or, you know, you're getting high, getting drunk and you don't care that, that you're tempting him or almost pushing him to discipline you, to deal with you. You know, I've been reading through Jeremiah, I've been reading through Ezekiel and uh, he, he gets pretty upset with those prophets who don't warn the people to turn from their sin. Because unless we warn them to turn from their sin and they and they don't, then, then the Lord says, and I'm going to require it at your hands. So we have to know the, the love of God, but we also have to know the holiness of God. It's so important for us to understand that. You know, going through Isaiah, going through Jeremiah, going through Ezekiel, it's predominantly all about the judgment of God. And every time I read through those verses, Books. i always walk away with a, a a fresh healthy fear of god and so that's what we read here in verse 11 notice it says serve the lord with fear you know and, and verse 11 rejoice with trembling you're almost it almost sounds contradictory you know how do you rejoice with with trembling you know And I I just, I don't know. I I don't know. I'm happy that He's coming. I'm super happy that He's coming. But what would happen if Jesus Christ came in here right now? What would happen? Well, mercy me says, I'm not really sure, you know, (laughs) what's going to happen when I go up to heaven. But that's when we're in our glorified bodies. You know, here, I'll tell you what, man, we're going to be blastado. We're going to be on the floor. I mean, we're just going to be face down. I think we lose that sometimes. Just prayerfully we know how awesome and how holy you know, God is. I mean, I'm happy and I'm blessed that Christ our King is coming. But I need to remember that when He comes a second time, He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion, something we sang about earlier. He's not coming really to justify the world. He's coming to judge the world. And so uh, we read in... The scriptures about his judgment. And here's the thing the only way we'll be able to stand before the Son is if we kiss him, which is what we read right here in verse 12. Notice again, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Have you guys all kissed him? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about, uh, I mean, we were, it, we were talking today about kissing him on the face, and that's cool, you know, maybe we will, I, I don't know. It's going to be a trip, I mean, what's it going to be like when we see Jesus, because he's so cool, you know? But, I mean, I just, pr- because of I know how wicked I am, I, I just visualize myself more or less kissing his feet. Luke chapter 7, the woman who's just struck with, With awe and love and and gratitude. What was she doing? She was weeping with her tears. She was kissing his feet. You know, it's interesting. The Greek word proskuneo, it talks about kissing. And the Greek word is translated worship. And so when we're worshiping in one sense, you know, we're kissing the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian... You know, I, I want to encourage you um, to know that He loves you. Our sins have separated us from Him. And so you need to come to Christ. Turn from your sins and trust in Him because He died for you and rose again. What you need tonight is a first kiss. You've got to kiss Jesus' feet. You've got to come to Him so that He can wash you, so that you won't perish in the way, like it says here. When his wrath is kindled, but a little blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now we're going to see this theme of trust over and over again in the Psalms. It's a beautiful thing that I believe if you keep coming and studying, you're going to grow in the area of trust. You're going to grow in the area of faith. So trust the Messiah, trust him to give you life. That's what we just read right there. But trust him all your life. Trust him to reign. You know, then one day from Jerusalem, I know he's coming, but trust him to reign now. Right now. Say, Lord, in my heart, there's a cross and there's a throne. Lord, put me on the cross and please, Lord, sit on the throne of my heart. That's the king. That's the kingdom within That's where we want him to reign as well. And so we go to chapter 3 of Psalms. This is a Psalm of of David. When he he fled from Absalom, his son. That sounds awful, huh? It says, Lord, how how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. So we're going to see, this is a psalm when, you know, the gang's after you or whatever, you know. <laughs> have you guys ever been in a situation like that where somebody wants to take your life? I know I have. It was kind of a weird situation, you know. Maybe you're going to get threats. Who knows, maybe it'll be uh, just, um, you know, a physical threat. And, and, you know, there's that, it's coming against you. This is a really tough situation, the whole story of Absalom. It's a tragic story, really, uh, of the life and death of Absalom. And and David here writes about it a little bit, just to kind of give us that encouragement when we find ourselves in in tough situations. You guys remember his story? You know, Absalom, uh, he was a guy, he looked so good. I mean, all you girls right here, you would see him and you'd be, oh, he's so pretty, I know his, his hair, it was weighty, but that was the only weighty thing about him. The rest of him was chaff. That's why girls don't just look at the outside. Don't just say, oh, that guy will like his hair, I like his eyes, I like his biceps. You know, I like the way he dresses. They say the first thing a girl looks at is a guy's shoes. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> you know, look at his heart. Try Try to see his heart. That's the most important thing. Absalom... Uh, had no character, and so um, a lot of things went down i, I can 't tell you guys the whole story because we just don 't have the time but I, I do encourage you to read a second Samuel chapter thirteen all the way to chapter eighteen, and what you 'll find is that he was fuming because his sister was raped and that 's okay. you know your sister gets raped I mean that should make you angry. But, but what he did, though, uh, was not right. He took matters into his own hands. He killed his brother, Amnon, who had raped his half-sister, and he killed his half-brother, and then he fled uh, the nation. And so he was gone for a while and until eventually uh, David uh, kind of let his guard down. He allowed Absalom to come back, and then eventually uh, he allowed Absalom back into Jerusalem. And he never should have let him back. You want to know why? Because Absalom never really repented. And that's a lesson for us. A lot of times we think, oh, you know, if we're going to be nice and, you know, let him, whatever, back into my life. You got to be careful. You got to use wisdom. I mean, Absalom was not repentant. And therefore, when you read the whole story there, what had happened was Absalom had mutiny in his heart. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to win the hearts of the men of Israel so that he could be king. And so what he did is he would go there outside the gates and, and the people would come and, you know, he would kiss them and then he would say, hey, you know, David, he's really busy. He doesn't have time for you. But, you know, if, if I were king, you know, I would take care of matters and I would, you know, do things right. And I would kind of give you what you want. And what he did was he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And so when you read the story, uh, he was able to then gather the army from the country of Israel. And he gathered up this army from Hebron and he comes and he attacks Jerusalem. I mean, here's the son and he wants to take the king of his father. And so David You know, when you're going to get sieged by an army, you've got to be ready for it. David wasn't ready for it. He didn't have the food. He didn't have the military uh, that he needed at that time. And so he fled. A lot of people believe it was because he wasn't ready for an attack. I also believe probably because he didn't want to kill his son. So anyways, when you read the story, David flees. And uh, he probably goes uh, altogether across the Jordan on the east side, about 100 miles away. And so try to, to put yourself in that situation. You know, your your life is being threatened at the hands of your son. Tough place to be, right? But what does David do? He trusts in the Lord. And, and it's a lesson for us. You know, he trusts in the Lord. You know, when you read this right here, uh, notice what we see again. Verse 1, Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Salah. You know, and and Salah, that's a, a musical notation that tells the musician to stop and rest. And for us, it's a word that basically says stop and think about what you just read. I mean, not only were there thousands against him, but there were many who were saying either that God wouldn't help him or that God couldn't help him. You know, and then the enemy starts just just speaking to us and the the volume is louder and louder and louder. In your situation, man, I mean, God's not going to help you. I mean, either he shouldn't help you, David, because you were wrong and, and all of us can look to our lives and know we've done things wrong. Or, you know, he just couldn't help you. I mean, there, there is no God, right? I mean, and the enemy comes and, and he says stuff like that. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything going on in your life that's kind of trying to keep you from going on in your life with the Lord? That's where, where David was now being tempted. I mean, are you getting the feeling, whatever it is that you're thinking of, that it's over, it's beyond God's help, and kind of you lost all hope? You know, if that's you, I I think you came on a good night, because this is a great psalm addressing that situation. Let me tell you something, man, and I just want to make sure it's clear. I mean, God has great plans for us. And the struggles that we're going through and the opposition that we experience... It's all part of his plan. So do not be discouraged. Please don't quit. You know, I've mentioned frequently that we can live weeks without food and days without water, minutes without air, but we can't live a second without hope. You know, an Irish proverb, it says, hope is the physician of every misery, And so when we're there and we're going through those hard times, whatever they might be, you know, uh, please, you're giving up on a relationship or it'll never really be whatever you thought it was going to be. You got to really look to the Lord. Don't lose hope. Don't buy the lie of the enemy who tries to sell us the thought that our situation is hopeless. When When you say that, what you're doing is you're slamming the door on God. What I want to encourage you to do tonight is to open the door on God. Believe in Him and watch how He watches over you. And He'll give you a peace, really, that passes understanding. That's what what David did in verse 3 again. But you, O Lord, are, are a shield for me. I mean, they're coming against me and they're saying there's no help. But Lord, you are a shield for me my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. And, and, and we read it back in Psalm 2 verse 12. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You know, and I don't know how it works, you guys. Uh, I'll be honest with you. God is, is gracious, man. You know, but I, I think that the more you trust, the more faith you have, I think the more you're going to see God move. You know, and, and we got to know that's the way it works. Uh, today's proverb is kind of cool. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure and he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. You know, and so we need a shield because the enemy is trying to get us. It's not that he builds a shield, it's that he is our shield. But trust is a must. We have to make sure that before we try, we cry. That we pray like David shows us how to do. You know, David said, I cried to the Lord and it reached his throne. Think about it, where all the decisions are made. You know, recently I had some problems with my passport you know, trying to get the the ticket to Israel and everything. And so, you know, we had to do all the paperwork and send it out. And part of me is just wondering, is it going to get there, you know, or is it going to get to the authorities that need to see it? You know, and and for us, that's kind of how it works. When you pray, it reaches his throne. And that's what we got to know. David knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is on the throne. And And it says right there that he's the one who lifts up my head. That expression is in reference really to David being restored to his throne, to his position. You know, and so uh, there's something about really praying over things and giving it up completely to God that brings a peace, that brings us rest. I mean, be honest, okay, you guys, if you had, I don't know, an army of 20,000 people who wanted you dead. How many of you here think that you could sleep? Okay. (laughs) It might be challenging. And I was even thinking about how some people, they don't sleep and my heart just goes out to them. And I don't know God's sovereign, but maybe they just sometimes just need to draw near to God and say, Lord, I give it to you. Lord, Lord, you know, it's not always like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, just the peace that comes from knowing he's on the throne. In verse 5, he says, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Salah. You know, I mean, as David prayed, then David got peace. And I think we need to, to learn this from him. The man who wrote it and said it and sang it and meant it. Notice what he says right there. I will not be afraid. And these are just, you know, core principles in our life. You know, if you're fear-driven, then you're not going to drive far. But if you're faith-driven, what's God going to do in your life? I mean, a lot of times we won't step out. We won't do anything. Why? Because we fear failure. And it paralyzes us. Or the enemy comes against us, you know, and we're like much afraid or we're like chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And God is saying, no, you know, get into my words. Start reading my Psalms. I know that you know how awesome the life of David was on a perfect man like us. But my, how he was a picture of Christ. That's what I want to be. Well, this is how he was. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of courage. You know, he was a man that... Even though he was surrounded, it didn't matter. You know, he wasn't, you know, surrounded by just 10 or 10,000. I mean, we're talking about ten thousands, and they're all around him. How are you going to get out of that, David? How are you going to get out of the situation you're in? I don't know how. Honestly, I don't know how, but I do know who. And I know that not only am I surrounded by my enemies, but I'm surrounded by my Lord. Isn't that what the Bible says? And you guys know that? Right? Uh Psalm one twenty five verse two as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround his people from this time forth and and forever. That's us. And that's a story that Elisha had. He said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. It's not just the Syrian army that's surrounding us, it's it's the angels that surround us. And so in chapter four and verse one, it says to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, a lot of teachers think that this Psalm is connected with Psalm 3 and we're going to see that there are some similarities in structure, but um, we're not really sure. It's a possibility we do know that it's a psalm that was esteemed highly by David because he directs it here in verse 1 to the chief musician that would be the director of the choir. And you guys know that when David was king, he had just a grip of musicians. Some say thousands of musicians. And so this one is directed to the chief musician. And, and basically, we know David here is calling on God. He's praying to him. He comes to God, not in his own righteousness, but in god's righteousness notice again there in verse one hear me when i call O god of my righteousness and that's the way we're to approach god you know when you come in the righteousness of christ i mean it's so cool you can know that the lord will hear your cry and so we see here first david talks to god in verse one and then he talks to men in, in verse 2 and 3, he says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. And so, just in case, I don't know if you guys have ever been in this situation Chapter three is really a chapter that talks about you you know in physical danger. you know they're, they're after you. Um, chapter four is when they're talking smack about you. And people sometimes they, they, they just they just talk about us behind our back or they're whispering, I don't know, it could happen at work and sometimes you know as Christians, you know, family members. You know, and a lot of times we can freak out over that. Don't even worry about it. You know, this is what was going on with David. And I just like the way that it's, it's handled. Again, in verse 1, he talks to God. And then in verses 2 and 3, he talks to his enemies. And really, that's the right order. John Corson said, before you speak out to people, make sure you've prayed up to God. And so apparently his enemies were slandering him. And it has probably been going on for a long time. That's why he asked, how long? He asked twice, how long? Don't worry, God's got it under control though. You know, how long will you shame me? How long will you seek and speak lies about me? You know, you can do what you want and say what you want, but I don't understand, he says there really in verse 3 that the saved are set apart by the Lord. Our father really does hear Our cry, you know and i've been in a situation not a lot but a few times and i I just the isaiah 54 17 i never really knew that verse until one day i was going through this and people were saying things about me that that weren't true and someone gave me this verse and and i looked it up and i thought wow lord it's a beautiful passage a promise it says in isaiah 54 17 no weapon formed against you shall prosper and Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so David speaks to God. Then, you know, he talks to his enemies. And and then, it's kind of cool, he talks to himself. You guys ever do that? You ever talk to yourself? I think that's what he's doing here in verse 4. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And I was reading one article and it's kind of cool. It was saying it's actually healthy to talk to yourself. you know. And, and here, David right here is, is kind of talking to himself. They're talking bad about me. David, listen, be angry and, and do not sin. You know, and I'll be honest with you. As a side note, I think he's talking to to Manny as well because I have been known to get angry sometimes. And sometimes when I get angry, I, I do sin. Do you guys ever do that? So the Lord is here saying: is is there's a time to be angry, but you don't have to sin over it. And it's an important passage for us. It's an interesting passage because verse four is quoted in Ephesians 4, verse 26. And there it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And and a lot of times we'll use that verse to say that if you're in an argument with your spouse, you know, don't go to bed angry. And, and it's true. It's true. I, I encourage you, don't let the sun go down until that situation. You do the best you can to settle it. But really what the psalmist is saying is don't even get in the fight at all. <laughs> don't get in the argument at all. Don't get in the sin at all. You know, when you get angry, you know, give it to God. You know, you go to the Lord because, of course, we know so much damage can happen. The New Living Translation says, don't sin by letting anger control over you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. I mean, I don't know. I know some people want to vent all their feelings and you hurt me and you said that and... I don't know. I mean, you have to really use wisdom in that. I'll tell you what. Talk to God. Talk to yourself. Stay still is what he says right here. Don't do anything or say anything that you shouldn't. In verse 6, he says, There are many who say who will show us any good. And so, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Why, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, some people say that it's a good psalm to read if you're having problems sleeping, and I don't know if that'll really solve the situation. But here we see, you know, can anyone show him any good? I mean. I don't know if you have those type of negative people in your life. They they say that nothing good can come out of Nazareth, so to speak. You know, nothing good can happen in your life. You know, David right here is is different, right? What he says is, Lord, they're saying that, but what I'm asking is that you would smile on me, God, that your countenance would shine. You know, and what he basically says is that God had put joy inside of him. And it was such a joy, it was such a joy, you know, when you really see this truth. And I don't know if you guys are capturing it yet, but man, if if God is for us, then who can be against us? That God still has good plans for our lives. That God is an awesome God, that no one can defeat him. You know, just, just follow him. You don't have to be perfect, but you've got to be sincere and real and genuine. And, and when that's your heart and when that's your life, then there's this joy. He says it's a greater joy than when they have those harvest celebrations. And those harvest celebrations, basically, what were they? They were the day when all the grain comes in and the grapes come in. And they're like, wow, we got a whole bunch of money, whole bunch of provisions. How many of you here would leap for joy if you won the lottery? You know, a million bucks. Yeah, you're so happy. Uh, one brother, dear brother today was telling me about this. Uh, um, down the street, there's, these, uh, there's a business. They sold property. They got $300,000 in commission. And I just thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. You know, and that's cool. Nothing bad about that. But there's a greater commission. It's the great commission. And let me tell you something. When you get caught up in that, in the kingdom of God, in the riches that are spiritual, it's just amazing the joy that comes to those who have that type of heart. And so we see here, David says, Lord, I look to you. I pray to you. I sing to you. Remember, these are songs. These are songs that he's singing. Why? (laughs) Because you alone provide peace. For my path. And as we close tonight in communion, I, I pray that, that that's the one that we would be looking to, that as we close the night, you know I, I'm thinking of that passage in Matthew 11:28 where Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest."